Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What in the world is going on in college football conferences? What impact does this have on the competition this upcoming season? And how will this change the makeup of college football going forward? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. So I think we can all agree the end of summer is sad. We don't want to see summer end. It's fun, right? But you know what makes it better is the fact that it's turning into fall, which means college football season. You can throw on your your sweater. You can go get a beer. You can go to these games and just really indulge yourself in the college football experience. But there's some drama. The University of Texas at Austin Longhorns and Oklahoma University Sooners formally accepted invitations to join the SEC. The Longhorns and the Sooners have been part of the Big 12 since 1996, and both teams will become official SEC League members on July 1st, 2025. So you can imagine the things that are going through people's minds right now. This formality will ultimately make the SEC the first 16-team super conference. The shift is about money and prestige in part. Now, the SEC is already one of the top revenue-generating conferences in the country, and on the field, an SEC team has won the national championship in four of the last six seasons, and at least one has appeared in the title game every year over that span. The SEC is, is a good conference. And on top of that, they have an enormous new media rights deal with ESPN that takes effect in 2024 that will supersize payouts to the conference's member schools. Either that deal was made with the Texas and Oklahoma news in mind, or the conference will want to renegotiate. Otherwise, the SEC would be agreeing to split TV revenue 16 ways rather than 14. For their part, Texas and OU both think they'll get a larger piece of that 16-team pie than of the 10-team pie they currently share in the Big 12. So how did this all go down? Who does this affect? And what does this mean for the values and traditions of college football going forward? Well, here to talk me through all of this is the host of the Will Kane podcast, which, by the way, you can find on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's one of my favorite podcasts of all time, but shh, don't tell him that. And co-host of Fox and Friends Weekends, Will Kane. Will, I just want to start by saying I love your podcast. Thank you. Uh, and I'm saying that on my own podcast, but you just exponentially make my podcast better by merely showing up. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Very flattering. I'll try to keep my ego in check for the rest of this interview. <laughs> well, I, I know you pretty well now. We haven't met in person. It's the first time meeting in person. Right. Great to be in studio with you. Great to see you in person. But I can just say you have the least amount of ego out of anyone I know. So. Oh, please. Very <laughs> humble guy on my podcast also. Uh, all right. So let's get into this a little bit. Oklahoma and Texas, a lot of things are happening. First of all, you went to law school 
at the University of Texas. So how do you feel about all this? I want to get your initial reaction first. You did qualify that I went to law school, and I'm going to bring in our off-air conversation on the air. So I went to law school at UT, but that is the team I root for passionately. My undergraduate was at Pepperdine University in California, and Pepperdine doesn't have a Division I football team. They don't have a football team at all. So I went to UT for law school, and I became a very, very passionate Longhorn fan. And I am jacked about Texas joining the SEC. You're jacked. But, but Abby, I had to get there. I'm going to be real. I wasn't out of the gates screaming, let's go. Because I think I'm nostalgic. I'm sentimental. I'm a sucker for tradition. And so I knew what Texas was leaving behind by going to the SEC. So it was hard for me to simply look forward. So in other words, I grew up in Texas And almost everyone went to a school in Texas. I was a little bit of an outlier to go out to California. And that meant they went to Baylor or TCU or SMU or Houston or A&M or the University of Texas. And that meant everyone had a pennant up in their bedroom. And in one house, you might have three or four pennants. And that meant at Thanksgiving, there were family squabbles. On Saturdays, there was trash talking. And I loved that fraternity of mutual hatred because (laughs) even though we all went at each other's necks in the end it's like well we're all from between the red river and the rio grande and we're all part of this thing together and i know that texas is leaving behind some of those rivalries like with texas tech or with tcu oh yeah you i mean I agree. I feel like sports is all about that. It's all about the rivalry. So in your opinion, how is this going to shake up the conferences, not just talking about uh, Big 12 and SEC, but just across the board? Because this has an effect on everyone. And and I want you to specifically start by... Uh, speaking to those rivalries. Well, I'm excited. So he, I'm I'm sad for the rivalries that Texas is leaving behind. I'll I'll pour this through the Texas prism for one moment, and then we'll broaden it out. But I'm excited for the rivalries that are to come for Texas. So, for example, Arkansas is a longtime rival of Texas, and Arkansas left for the SEC in the 1990s. So that one's been gone, and you get to now rekindle that hatred. Texas A&M. Nothing like rekindling a hatred, right? It matters. I mean, <laughs> hatred and love are very close together, I think. Yeah. Uh, and speaking sports. of which, Texas A&M. I mean, if you were ranking Texas's rivalries, it would be Oklahoma and Texas A&M, and you could have a debate about which one is bigger. But Oklahoma's been, I mean, Texas A&M has been gone for a few years. And so we get that back by joining the SEC. I also think LSU is not a rival, but will be soon. That's sort of a pent-up rivalry mm-hmm. that hasn't yet occurred, and it'll be fun to watch that one develop. But I think that the SEC will do a good job of maintaining existing rivalries. Alabama-Auburn's not going anywhere. Florida, Georgia, not going anywhere. I don't know if they'll end up doing two eight-team divisions or they'll do four four-team pods. But either way you design the SEC, and it'll be fun to figure out how to design it. Mm. Any way you design it, I think they're going to put a lot of effort and focus into ensuring those historic rivalries stay in place. If you could design the SEC, how would you design it? Okay, so You I did, are the architect here. Yes, I, and I don't have it in front of me, so let me see if I can remember 16 teams. But I did this on the Will Cain podcast. You can go to a previous episode <laughs> and listen to it. I, I did draw this into essentially an East and a West for a two-division, 16-team conference. But that's not as fun to me. What's, what's more fun is the four-pod division of four teams. And, and I think, if I remember correctly, it went like this. You had Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma and Arkansas in one pod. I believe that's what I had. And then 
on the far other end of the spectrum, it was Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Kentucky, maybe. And then in the then I had the middle, which is Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. And then I said right down the Delta, Missouri, Mississippi, Mississippi State, and LSU. Pretty sure that's how I had it. I am so impressed. <laughs> just for everyone listening, Will Kane doesn't have a single thing in front of him. He just did that all out of memory. I did. I did. <laughs> and I might have swapped Arkansas and Missouri. I don't know. But that's basically what we were looking at. Yeah, you know, it is interesting. Um, and I think about, again, the other conferences. How do you think the ACC uh, can remain competitive with its regional rival in the SEC? Um, you know, when the league might ultimately double the ACC's TV contract. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Because I mean, this is... There's conversations about the SEC going and looking at Florida State mm-hmm. and Clemson and trying to woo them over into, I don't know what we're talking In the end, we're talking about possibly a super conference, maybe two super yeah. conferences. So the Big Ten and the SEC. And if that's the case, so the SEC goes and swallows up Clemson and Florida State. Now you're at 18. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you like Miami. You bring them in. You get to 19. But meanwhile, in the Big East, Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, they have to build out that conference. And the Big 12, the remnants of the Big 12 are sitting there. The Pac-12 is out there to combine with. But there's going to be a lot of teams left behind. And I don't know if you remember this, Abby, but it, was, um, it wasn't even six months ago now. It was probably three or four months ago. In in England, or rather in Europe, they tried to create what was called a super league in soccer. Are you, do you watch soccer much at all? Every once in a while. Yeah. I, I'm a big soccer fan, actually. Yeah, big. Yeah, I, I'm no, not as big it. of a soccer fan as you. If it's so, on, I'll watch, so but the, I don't go out of my way. Well, what's awesome is, by the way, you can wake up on Saturday and Sunday morning, and it's on. Like you I'm, can watching, dream- I'm too busy watching Fox and Friends Weekend. That's what are you talking about? That's a very good point, Abby. <laughs> Keep watching Fox and Friends Weekend. <laughs> but you can have your coffee and watch a little soccer as well, because it's later in the day, obviously, in Europe. And this is the way it works. So you have the English Premier League in England. You've got La Liga in Spain. You've got Serie A in Italy and Bundesliga in Germany. And they each have their domestic leagues. And in the end... In almost all of those leagues, two, three, maybe four teams end up dominating. Those two, three, four teams win year in and year out. It's much, much more top-heavy than, say, the NFL, where you have, you know, and I understand the Patriots have been up there forever, but the truth is it's hard. And that's why the Patriots and Bill Belichick are amazing, because it's really hard to stay at the top for a long period of time. But economics make it such that in Europe, you really have, like, in England, it may be five or six. Everywhere else, it's two or three economic powerhouses that dominate the rankings. So all of those teams tried to leave their domestic league and create what was called a Super League. So Manchester United in England and Barcelona and Real Madrid in Spain and Juventus in Italy and, and Bayern in Germany tried to get together and they created a 20-team Super League. And the idea was, look, when people watch soccer, the major ratings are when we're on. So what if we all ever play each other? Imagine how much money we can make. We don't have to subsidize the little teams. We don't have to give money to the little teams. Now, to their credit, Europe is extremely tradition-laden. And they were like, hell no. Tradition matters. It does matter. In sports. Doesn't matter how good the teams are. Hey, tradition matters in life. It does. But the point is, what is your instinct? Do you look at tradition and honor it? Or do you look at tradition and sneer at it? And I think you should start with honoring it and then correct the bad traditions. Mm-hmm. So I respect that the fan bases in England were like, no, no, no. We're not giving up what we've had for over 100 years. This is good what we have together. And they and they disbanded the Super League. I do think that's kind of where we're headed. And so I do think the biggest programs with the most money, and in some cases the biggest tradition of winning, will try to create a 20, 
I don't even know how many, 25-team super conference where they get to keep all the money. By the way, then the NCAA dies. You're basically done with the NCAA at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and what's interesting is if you're thinking about sports leagues or sports in the United States of America, and we're talking about European soccer and tradition, there is no sport that is more beholden to tradition in America than college football. So how will the fan bases respond if we try to create a college football super league? How do you think they'll respond? I think what's what's awkward is I think they'll be upset, but mm-hmm. but nobody will care what the fan base of SMU has to say about the creation of a Super League. And the truth is nobody will care what the fan base of Indiana will say if they get left out, if the Big Ten merges into some kind of giant Super League. People will care what the biggest universities say. So it's the question becomes, what would the fans of Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, mm-hmm. um, maybe... USC, what would they have to say? on. Are you a Trojan? I'm a, I'm a Trojan. Yeah. USC is an interesting one in this because private school, not people, I don't think people even realize it's a private school. It's a big private school. What, mm. 25,000 kids yeah. maybe? Something around. Um, and it's a powerhouse. Private schools aren't usually powerhouses in football, but they are, and they're a traditional powerhouse. But what happened in England and in Europe is the fan base is of those big franchises said no. So in other words, the mm-hmm. fan bases of Manchester City and Manchester United and Barcelona go, no, we don't, we don't want this. It didn't matter that the smaller clubs' fans were upset. What mattered was the fans of the big clubs were upset. So then the question you're asking me is, do I think the fans of Texas and USC and Ohio State and Alabama would throw a fit? And I don't think they would in America. Mm. So then who ultimately makes that decision? Because, you know, you can have the fan bases wanting one thing. You, you can have the executives of, you know, these schools and think another thing. You can have Will Kane coming straight from University of Texas uh, thinking another thing. So how do you integrate all of that and who ultimately makes the decision? Well, the presence of the universities, um, the board of regents of those universities will make mm-hmm. the decision. But if we're, keep, if we're real, and we should be, and you keep going, it's the boosters. They'll make the decision. Yeah. The billionaires who care about those universities will influence the Board of Regents, who influence the president. And so do the billionaires who support those universities with massive donations, um, do they want this to happen? And odds are they are, because here's one other thing about America that distinguishes us on this Super League concept from Europe. We always want bigger, better. This is who we are. And that, by the way, bigger, better, more profitable is not always a good thing. And I have learned that. I think I've learned that a lot in the past 18 months to two years, that as I have seen in this country, capitalism fail its moral obligations. And, and I've seen CEOs and corporations show themselves to be spineless, that the pursuit of always the next cheapest, best, quickest to get to me product is not a way to find the best path in life. You need a moral guideline. You need a moral capitalism. And I don't know how that applies to college football, but I do think that our instinct on that front when it comes to the billionaires and even the fan bases of those big universities is, no, I want to play Alabama. No, I want I want big Saturday afternoon games with, you know, massive ratings. I want a chance for the national title. And I think our our ambitious, always looking to tomorrow instinct in America will overcome. All right. We got to step aside real quickly, but class will be back in session right after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you think the need for bigger and better is in some way in college football a threat to tradition, or do you think it bolsters tradition in the sense that you've kind of had those Alabamas dominate for years and years? I, I, I think it undermines tradition. Mm. I do. Now, listen, nothing is absolute, and I want to make clear, like tradition's an instinct that you start with. But you're not a servant to tradition. You don't have to just follow it. I mean, look, if you can think about one of the least tradition beholden nations, it would be the United States of America. I mean, everything about our story is new, mm-hmm. new, pushing west, looking for new boundaries, finding new country, pioneers, risk takers, entrepreneurs. We're all about what's next, what's new and what's bigger and better. And I'm not telling you that's all bad or all good either. These are all these are these are instincts in conflict with each other. And I think we have to find the balance. I mean, I, I revere entrepreneurs. You know, I'm from Texas and I feel like there's something in my history. I don't know if it's in my DNA, but it's like, I want to push West. I know you're from the West. Mm-hmm. Like why, you know, my family and I did a road trip a year ago and I know you do the park series and you've been to all these places, but as I drove from like Yellowstone to Zion to Glacier to Montana, you really literally experience the frontier oh, my of America. Goodness, yeah. And there's something about that you feel the American spirit of um, risk tolerance and, and pushing for a better life. I love this book, Empire uh, of the Summer Moon. It's about the Comanches and the Comanche Empire, which stretched from like Kansas and Colorado all the way down through most of the heart of Texas. And it was the conflict of two civilizations, the Texas Rangers and the people pushing west in the 1800s and encountering this really what was an empire that nobody knows about, the Comanches, who were bloodthirsty and violent. And somebody was going to win and somebody was going to lose. But we've always existed on that edge. Mm. And so I don't know. I think we have to say, okay, we honor the traditions that got us here. We want to keep those that, that are worth survival, but balance that against our ambitions moving forward. There is no doubt those two things are in conflict with each other. And I guess like everything else in life, it's like finding the balance. Yeah. I think that's really cool that you did that. You did it with your family, right? The RV trip. Loved it. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to, can I push back on something you just said? Sure. So this is where my yeah. mind is right now. Come in. I think that's what people say a lot. They're like, we need to be less extreme. We need to find compromise and find what's in the middle. And I, I disagree with that. Now here's why, because I think that paints a picture of the world that all that exists is A and B. And we tend to think righteousness is somewhere in between A and B. And I think that's entirely too narrow. I think C is an option. I don't like the idea that we're, we're so extreme because sometimes I think, hey, maybe we're not so extreme. Maybe we're really stuck in a narrow set of options. And maybe to your point, then we like hold real tight to that narrow, the poles of that narrow spectrum mm-hmm. and stop. Stop fighting each other. Start looking at C. I love what you said. No, I I agree completely. I think that right now that C to me is something like morals and values that we should all agree on. Um, That is an extreme that I think it is good, and to your point, to be uh, kind of in that realm. Because I think right now what we're kind of going through is that people are questioning the innate sense of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, 
society has lost sight of. But if that exists in that C category that you're talking about, that is something that I'm fine going extreme in because morals and values are something that, you know, should run through society. And right now people are questioning that. Totally agree. Right. If we look at this, if we're bringing it back to the conversation of college football, <laughs> you see it as two separate teams, right? They're budding helmets. They're they're going against each other. You have these two ideas, budding heads. But uh, to your point, the the value of hard work, the value of, you know, the American way of watching this college football, the fans, the feeling that you get, the bringing of people together into one stadium, people turning on that same channel, watching this day after day, that could be the defining factor of what brings us together. And it's that to me is the moral and value of, you know, you can have these two extreme sides butting heads, but there's something that runs between them both. So I love, love sports and I know you do as well. So um, first, I think people, human beings are by their very nature tribalistic. It's what we do. We gravitate to to tribes and look, tribes were the primary survival mechanism throughout human history. It's what we did. We came together over some commonalities. Sometimes in history, that was racial commonalities. Sometimes it was religious commonalities. Sometimes it was values-based the commonalities. The will to survive if you go way, way back. And, but the point of the tribe was to survive. Right. It was to enhance the probability of surviving. And so we have that built into us. And it's our job, I think, as we, have, as we progress and civilize, to overcome the negative tribalizations. We don't want to tribalize on racial lines. And we need to overcome those 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 forces that that, that pull everyone at times in those in those directions. Um, but sports is a place where tribalization is not only embraced, it is good. Like it is mm-hmm. good for me to arbitrarily be a member of the Dallas Cowboys tribe. <laughs> and it is okay for me to hate in this benign hate we're talking about yeah. sports hate a Philadelphia Eagles fan. It's cathartic. It's fun. You know it, Eagles fan, and I know it. And it is something, I actually think it's necessary. I think we need to get it out because we don't want malignant tribalism, right? Right. This is a good, like, outlet sports is to just be like, why are you a Cowboys fan? Because I am. That's it. Now, I have strong opinions, and I told you about when you get to be a fan, like, based upon where you're born or did you go to the school or whatever. But in the end... It's all arbitrary, and it's uh, none of it needs to be defended, and that's what makes it so great. I'm I'm in this tribe, and we're going to whoop you on Sunday. Yeah. So that's one. Two of the values you talked about. Sports is the perfect mechanism to show what really works in life. Resilience, hard work, um, work ethic, dedication, sacrifice, do your job in football, be creative in soccer, different values there. Mm-hmm. But um, I love sports as, as a vehicle for for values and then finally the third is um i just love it with my sons i love experiencing it with my sons <laughs> yeah both as them as athletes playing and all of us together as fans it's 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 important to my family building unit sports is such a thing that we use to communicate with each other it is it, it, it's it's one language and that language might be presented in different ways. There might be different dialects depending on where you are, but it is one thing that you said. You can speak football 
to your sons. Yeah. You can speak um, unity. They see right through me, people. by the way. <laughs> they know that when I'm talking about some kind of thing happening in soccer, that I'm really talking about life. And no. they're like, and they're, well, I mean, there's so much eye rolling and like, here we go again, another freaking monologue. <laughs> then you get it out at seven o'clock on primetime, Will. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, have you seen, um, again, this is kind of diverting a little bit, but Last Man Standing, have you seen that show with Tim Allen? No. Oh, you love it. it. You got to really? watch it. Yeah, but it, it you, you remind me of something someone who could maybe write a TV show because it's like the whole time during the TV show, you're doing simple things, but it, at the very end, it all comes together. And the whole time you realize they're sending a message yeah. throughout the entire episode. That is you as a father. That is you as an anchor. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> it truly is. Um, but and I lo- tedious. <laughs> I love everything you said. Um, so in terms of this college football collegiate shakeup thing, um, you know, we both work in TV, so my mind goes to TV rights. I know ESPN just struck up this deal starting in 2024. So what's that going to look like for these schools, for these conferences in terms of TV deals? Well, we don't know. We're going to have to see how that shakes out because, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma want out of their Big 12 deal ahead of time. They said they'll they'll stay. They said they'll stay because the penalty is massive. I can't remember what it is, like $80 million to get out of their Big 12 ESPN contracts. But it's all very convoluted, by the way, because ESPN had the Big 12 rights, ESPN has the SEC rights, and ESPN has the Longhorn Network rights. Mm. So ESPN doesn't like the Longhorn Network. That's an albatross. They wish it would go away. Texas is ready to let go of it. ESPN likes the idea. They love their SEC rights. That's going to be huge for them. And they're not excited about their Big 12 rights, especially without Texas and Oklahoma. So the rest of the Big 12 schools and the Big 12 commissioner are like, hey, ESPN, you have a conflict of interest here. You can't be facilitating everything. You're letting go of an albatross in the Longhorn Network. You're cutting all of us because you think we don't contribute enough. And you're facilitating Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. You are in violation of your fiduciary duty to us Mm. as a rights holder. Now, I don't know. We'll see how that shakes out. But the TV rights is a huge part of this. And ESPN is a huge part of this entire shakeup. Yeah. So historically, I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen a shift in conferences. So historically speaking, I mean, what effect has it had? Do you think this is the biggest shakeup that we've ever experienced in college football? Yeah, because it's the biggest flagship universities Mm -hmm. that I can think of that we've seen move. I mean, you saw Colorado go to the Pac-12. You saw Nebraska go to the Big Ten. And Nebraska is a traditional you know, football powerhouse, but I, I, I don't think they, they're not an economic powerhouse. How about that? Right. Um, you know, Miami has moved around a little bit, but you've never seen schools at this level right. move from, and also, by the way, move from one big conference to another. So mm-hmm. this is the biggest, and it is a massive domino. I mean, yes, the, the closest we would get would be the Southwest Conference in the 90s turning into the Big 12 with the Big 8. That would be the closest. But this is, I think this is a legit domino that begins to affect every conference in college football. I've got a question to ask you, but first we've got to step aside for a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I feel like this is a bit maybe of an obvious answer, but I like to simplify things on this podcast as much as possible. Who are the biggest winners and losers of this shakeup? 
Well, the biggest winners undoubtedly are Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest winner is also Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. It'll be more money for the SEC. It'll be more relevance. They'll be integral to the future of college football. They already were, but now it's like beyond reproach. The biggest losers of this are clearly the other Big 12 schools. And this is where it goes back to where we started our conversation. Like, I, I, I have family. I have friends that went to all those schools, and they don't want my, by the way, patronizing sympathy. My brother, <laughs> went, my brother went to Texas Tech Law School, and he's a Tech fan because he also went to Pepperdine undergrad. And he, like, gets mad at me if I'm like, and I'm being sincere. Like, yeah. I, I have some love for Tech. I married a Lubbock girl. Her dad taught at Tech, you know, and... Um, I feel bad. I don't know what's going to happen for tech. I don't know where they end up. And, and, and my brother's like, you know, keep your sympathy. We don't need it. We're going to be just fine. <laughs> and, and maybe they will. But I think right now you'd say the other big 12 schools are losers. And this is either true or just fun to say. But Texas A&M is a loser in the whole deal as well, because yeah. if there's one school that didn't want Texas to come into the SEC, You can unleash on your A&M. brother on this podcast. <laughs> He's probably not listening. Well, I don't have a brother who went to A&M. I, had a, I have a brother who went Texas to Texas Tech. Texas Tech, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, uh, A&M, A&M didn't want Texas around. They have a lot of, you know, I don't know, angst and anger towards Texas. So they, I guess we would count them as losers in this deal. <laughs> hey, love you, Aggies. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, long term, it's we're seeing the college football, college NCAA in general, the landscape changing with the whole, you know, athletes being paid, that sort of thing. So long term with this shakeup, I mean, how do you think this can just completely change the landscape? Well, I just think I think long term. So so and this is where I got eventually, despite all my my reservations and my sadness for what we're leaving behind, I think the progress was inevitable. I think this had to happen. So as a Texas fan, it's either get on the train or get run over by the train. And so I think that the inevitable train is this consolidation of college football, where it turns into some version of super conferences, one, two, three, whatever it may be. It probably divorces itself from the NCAA. The NCAA ceases to become a governing body for those schools. They'll be governed by the presidents of those universities i think amateurism begins to fall apart so nil name image and likeness where mm-hmm. athletes can now make money off of endorsements is here um and so that already is some some pseudo professionalism and i'm not that i'm opposed to it like i'm a capitalist i hate leaving this tradition of amateurism behind i also think that individuals out there should be able to capitalize on their unique skills in this world i think michael dell should be able to drop out of school if he wants and go start a incredibly successful computer company um i think or stay in school and create a very successful computer company and i think that we're probably headed towards pretty quickly the path of of college athletes getting paid i mean supreme court justice brett kavanaugh said recently in an opinion that did not hold um weight it was dictum it was just an opinion he did say he did not see a legal or moral reason why college athletes should should not get paid. Why colleges should be exempt from antitrust laws? So mm-hmm. that's that's where we're headed. Now, then the, the the last domino on this. I'm sort of playing out to your question where we go. 
is what does college sports look like at that point? And I don't know. Right. Is it sort of a minor? Then you're becoming kind of a, a professional league exactly. at that point. When Once athletes start getting paid, they're maybe not showing up for the right reasons. And, and not saying that all of them are. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And this is probably a whole different podcast about, you know, athletes getting paid, the loss of amateurism, that sort of thing. But I, that's why I'm curious with what the shakeup when you talk about how much money the SEC will be bringing in, just what that will mean for the tradition of college, emphasis on the college, amateurism, football. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it will end. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it will end. And then will you be a minor league for the professional leagues? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and, and by the way, I think it will be fascinating to see what happens to fan passion as well. I mean, I do think fan passion is some extent tied to the idea of amateurism. It's tied to the idea that these guys care more than the pro athletes. As we see decisions made by college athletes, like sitting out of bowl games. So we started to see that, right? To preserve their health for their potential professional career. Or we're already seeing it at the high school level, by the way. There's a commit to the University of Texas, because that's the one I keep up with the most, a running back, Jaden Blue, and he's going to sit out his senior year of high school to get to his eligibility. He's already accepted a scholarship to go to UT. And then, of course, he can make money off name, image, and likeness. So why risk, Mm -hmm. you know, in his mind, why risk my senior year of high school, all of that which could come down the line? So we start, what, what I'm getting at is we start seeing amateurs make professional decisions, and it makes the fans say, I don't know if your passion is equal to mine. So that's what fans like. They also, like the idea. Also, you're not on the same level. A fan and a player are in a way on the same level because the fan the fans not making any money by going to the football game and if the player isn't making any money by playing in that game, it's kind of like, "Oh, this is my peer out there." It's it's easy to root for that person because they're in a way in my shoes. A lot maybe no more way. athletically gifted. Well, to me, I think it's an emotional connection. So it's it's a reciprocal emotional connection. So I think fans like it when they feel that an athlete feels about them the way they feel about the athlete. So here's an example. Um, Dallas, Texas, which is, I'm from that area, is a Dallas Cowboys town, no doubt about it. Like, if you start a sports radio station in Dallas, you should talk Cowboys 80% of the time. And that means the Mavericks and the Rangers and the Stars, they, in whatever colleges get airtime, they split up the remaining 20 to 30%, okay? But that being said... I would suggest the most revered athlete in Dallas, Texas is either Roger Staubach or Dirk Nowitzki of the Mavs. Now, here's why. Because Dirk had multiple opportunities to leave the Mavericks. He stayed there for 20 years. He took less money to stay with the Mavericks. And he reciprocated the love the fans felt for him. And that made him an icon. And fans want to feel that you care about them the way they care about you. Or at the very least, you both care about the outcome of this thing that we're in together. And in sports, professional sports, fans often think that you don't. That, uh, you know, whatever, in, in, in the NBA, what's a, the term? It's, I've spent a year out of sports uh, professionally. Um, you know, when load management, when oh, the NBA yeah. stars sit out load management, fans hate load management. Right. Um, but, and, and so if they start looking at college, and the idea at college is that, that they feel like that the, that the athletes are there for the alma mater, that they're there for the school and they have the same passion towards each other. And amateurism, whether not it's a false perception or not, is beside the point. Fans feel that way. Totally. And now if it becomes professionalized, they're going to feel less so. And then my question is, therefore, will college sports, whatever that may be, ratings or whatever, 
will their fandom decline to some extent because it's not an amateur-based thing anymore? I kind of think, uh, to follow up what you're saying, I kind of think about it this way. Now, I didn't grow up in Texas, but I know how rabid the Texas high school football fans are. I've watched Friday Night Lights. Uh, <laughs> so I got a nephew that plays for Odessa Permian. Oh, my o- gosh. Do you know what that... Odessa Permian I, is the real-life um, inspiration for the Dylan Panthers. Right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. That's what I think about. So I think about the fan base where people are maybe, I don't know if this actually happens in real life, but people might shut down their store for the night because they are like, everyone's going to the football game, right? Compare that to maybe the Dallas Cowboys fan base. Now, I know Dallas fans are extremely passionate about their team, but does it change the innate fandom once you become professional, when you can compare this, this you know, everyone shutting down their stores. No one's going to shut down their store to go to a Dallas football game, a Cowboys no, you're right. game. You're right. You know? Yeah. So it's, it just kind of draws that line between amateurism and professionalism and, why does and everybody and, and, and why does everybody in Odessa do that? Because of a sense of community, of shared mm-hmm. investment, you know? And, and the, the passion is based upon the shared investment. And, and that's what you'll have to watch when it comes to sports. Like, I think there's a lot of sports writers who think it's all about a cool highlight. It's not like fandom is not about um, a dunk on Twitter. You know, it's not a house of highlights or whatever all the feeds are on Twitter that will show you what LeBron did. I mean, that's fun for 30 seconds to watch, but that isn't what keeps you coming back. It really isn't. It's this sense of community and shared investment. Totally. I, I go back to, um, you know, going to USC. We do, we, I, my brother, one brother went to USC, the other one went to Notre Dame. So there was always this rivalry between us, especially when it came to college football. And every year we either go to the USC Notre Dame game when it's in LA or when it's in South Bend. And I just remember going to the South Bend game with my brother and, um, you know, we were getting just dominated. USC was, I, I'm sad to say. And, you know, we stuck around to the end because I was like, this is such a cool sense of community because of the fans and the band. And at the end, even though I'm a USC fan, secret Notre Dame fan, don't tell anyone. No, but no, you can't do if, that. I, sh- I know. Uh, but, you know, they all link arms at the end and they sway and they sing and they pray and, you know, the players come up. And that is what you're there for totally. in college football. Totally. You're like you said, you're not there for the highlight. Hey, where'd your dad go? Iowa State. So did you grow up at all an Iowa State fan? I mean, I, I guess basketball, yeah. Still not, or no, not really? Uh, well, again, this I don't want to get in trouble here with my fandom because I know how strict you are on fans. Yeah, you've named three different <laughs> schools, right. Yeah, I'm a big against sports bigamy. <laughs> I agree. See, I went to USC, so I'm USC fan across the board. But when you see Iowa State play or if they make make it further in the tournament than USC does, then I'm like, you know, I have a soft spot. Mm. Iowa I'll, State's, by the way, another one. I don't know where they end up in this in this um, college realignment shuffling. Hey, I, it was funny is um, I went to Pepperdine instead of USC because of community. So what you're describing. But I'm not sure I got it right. So here's my story. Excuse me. So, yeah, we're going to need some explanation here. I applied to two schools in California. I always had a romanticized vision of California growing up in Texas. Mm. And I thought I wanted to go out there for school. And um, and I I liked USC. I watched USC on television. I watched um, Rodney Pete as quarterback oh, yeah. uh, in, in, in those days of USC football. And that's when he's playing Troy Aikman at UCLA. But um, I applied to USC and I applied to Pepperdine. And I applied to Pepperdine because I think we got the brochure and it was beautiful. It was on the beach and all that. And I grew up swimming. That was my sport. And then I knew I I played a little bit of water polo. I knew I wanted to walk on. So I visited USC 
And my family's like, my dad was not big on me going to USC because it's in Watts, it's high fenced, you yeah. know, it's in a really dangerous neighborhood in, in Los Angeles. Now it's protected. It's all like guard shacked and fenced. And when you're on campus, you're not, you're not in the dangerous neighborhood. Right. Um, but my dad did not like that idea. But USC is a beautiful campus. Um, and then later in the day, we went to Malibu. Where, which is where Pepperdine <laughs> is. But that day, Pepperdine was playing USC in water polo, and I went to the game. And Pepperdine was on their way to winning a national championship in baseball that year, the College World Series. And the entire baseball team was at the water polo game, and they had lawn chairs, and they're on the pool deck, and they heckled the USC goalie every quarter <laughs> when you switched, and they switched their lawn chairs from end to end so they could be right in his ear the That's entire game. That's awesome. And, then, and honestly, I looked at that and I was like, this is community. Like, look at the baseball team, which is the best in the nation right now, supporting the water polo team. And so I picked Pepperdine. Yeah. In retrospect, I don't, I don't know. If, <laughs> I mean, USC, I'm sure, has an awesome community, maybe better than Pepperdine. I do have a few friends that played on the USC water polo team, um, and I do know a lot of my friends go went to the game. Sa- same sense of community, but I think you're exactly right, and I, I love that that was your experience. I don't love that it was Pepperdine over USC, but it's it's a perfect explanation for I remember being in high school and, and kind of similar thing. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school and volleyball was one of our main sports and I was on the volleyball team and I remember the guys would show up and they uh, no matter who we were playing at at what point and they would heckle the other team and they would cheer for us and you know everyone would show and we would do the same for for the football team the men's football team and um, that's kind of again what draws you to to places Uh, and did you you so you are happy that you went to Pepperdine over USC. I do. I mean, here, here, I'll be real with you. I mean, I, I did love Pepperdine. I definitely love Pepperdine water polo. Those are my guys, and they, and they are to this day. USC was probably a more traditional collegiate experience, like mm-hmm. a, a more environment. I mean, Pepperdine is small. It's 2,700 kids. It's um, Now, you look, you get to go to the—you're right there close to the beach, and it's a beautiful setting. But in some ways, as my buddies were going to Baylor or, or University of Texas or wherever, and they were having this more like— um, stereotypical college experience. I did wonder, like, what if I'd gone to USC or, or or UT, and you know, did the fraternity thing or whatever? Maybe I didn't do any of that because I, I was at a small school, and I was on the water polo team. Those were my guys. That was my fraternity. Um, I think USC would have been great. I don't think I would have played polo at USC. Mm. Pepperdine and water and, and USC are both awesome at water polo, but USC is is a notch up from Pepperdine. Although the year after I graduated, Pepperdine. Did beat USC in the national championship game. All my uh, buddies. How many got, water polo guys uh, go to the Olympics from my, Pepperdine? Just out of curiosity. Some, some definitely. As many as USC. And- well, as Americans, because that's the <laughs> thing about USC. That water polo team. Gosh, is, I oh. hate talking to someone who also knows sports. <laughs> the guys from USC are all from like Serbia yeah. and Bosnia, and that's why before we went on air, you go, I don't know how water polo guys get ready. You were asking if I needed vocal warm ups, and I said, I think they smoke Marlboro Reds. <laughs> I mean, that I was actually thinking in my head when you said of the USC water polo team because they're all full-grown men who in the 90s survived a civil war with chest hair out to here and smoking (laughs) marble reds at halftime that's incredibly intimidating for an 18 year old who's like two years post-puberty you know (laughs) completely and then will kane shows up he's drinking his green juice he just finished (laughs) yoga class right uh no you know i'm interested because you bring up that sense of community why you chose to go to pepperdine over usc and i'm wondering with this whole college conference shakeup, do you think 
in terms of recruiting, um, how that will change because now athletes are maybe saying, okay, well, I can go to the SEC and, you know, I'll get all these deals and da-da-da, instead of looking at, oh, I want to go to this school because of its sense of community. I think, first of all, recruiting and the move to the SEC for Texas and Oklahoma will have an immediate benefit. They will get better recruits because recruits will want to play in the biggest and best conference in the nation. Mm -hmm. So that... That in itself will help recruiting at those two schools. What more, Texas itself, and we'll have to count Oklahoma in this equation because they essentially are a Texas recruiting-based school. Um, Texas itself is some of the best high school football in the country, and now you can dominate internally, Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M, to get the best players to go play in the SEC. You kind of asked me also how like deals and NIL endorsement deals will play out. And I don't know 100% how that will play out. I definitely think uh, athletes' first instinct will be, if I go to Georgia or LSU, I get a better deal. I can can get some endorsements that I wouldn't get if I went to Tulane or if I went to Georgia Tech even, maybe. But what will happen will be, let's say you're the third-string quarterback at Alabama. You know, you sit there and you say to yourself, well, what opportunities do I have both to play and to get endorsements as the third-string quarterback at Alabama, when I can transfer, and that's also part of the new equation, you can transfer very mm. easily, I could transfer to Arkansas, and maybe I start, and I can immediately get NIL deals and get playing time. And so I think we don't know how that's all going to shake out just yet. But as in most things in college football, and perhaps in the American economy, you always have to be wary because I think the beneficiaries will be the super teams. It will be the biggest schools. They will yeah. be the immediate beneficiaries of this type of stuff. Yeah, and then what about the other conferences? Like like uh, Big Ten, for instance, Do you? what do you think it'll take from Kevin Warren, who's the commissioner of the Big Ten? What uh, do you think it'll take from him to maybe keep that conference afloat? And uh, Do you combine? I mean, they, there are so many equations where, yeah, you have the SEC, you have the, you have the super conference, and then what about the rest of them? Add in. Yeah, these are going to have to add. Yeah. And they may have to subtract. And and that's why I think you've seen schools like Arkansas or Vanderbilt be kind of quiet in this whole thing. Like, you know, what happens if these super conferences keep adding? At some point, they have to subtract, meaning they're going to look around and go, if the whole idea is that we're going to put a coalition of teams together that are big time box office, what about the ones that are already in our conference that aren't? So... And I'm not saying this should happen. I'm just saying it's something to watch out for. So let's say the Big Ten says, well, in order to keep up with the SEC, we need to bring in, let's go get USC, UCLA, and Washington. Let's get Oregon. Maybe we could even go east a little bit. We'll grab we'll grab uh, Florida State if we can or Clemson if we can. Or, or maybe we'll pick up some remnants of the Big 12, Oklahoma State, whatever their decisions are. It gets too big for a minute after a while. And you start going, well, how much does Northwestern really add? to the bottom line. How much does, and I know Northwestern is a founding member of the Big Ten, so I understand all that stuff, but capitalism and money gets cold real quick. Mm-hmm. And you start saying, whoever, I, don't, I mean, whoever's the bottom of the totem pole, you know, Indiana, I don't know. Um, you start wondering, do I get to stay in this thing that we helped build? So I think that's where it could get eventually. Right. Um, All right. Well, I know that you're extremely busy and I don't really want to wrap this up because it's such a good conversation. But I guess we'll end with if someone uh, listening to this was wondering from you, what's the biggest thing to know about this shakeup? What would you tell them? Hang tight. 
White knuckle grip. <laughs> Hold on tight because we don't know where this is going. It's but it's going to be it's going to be disruptive. It's going to be topsy turvy. Mm-hmm. Will Kane, thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to continue our conversation about tradition and sports and and pretty much everything. Uh, maybe a- again on this podcast. All right. If you'll come back, I'll be back. All right. Great. Thanks. Thank you. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about changes in college football. Number one, this college football shift is all about money and prestige. I mean, there are some other things that go into this decision as well, but at the end of the day, money and prestige is front and center. It's a domino effect. Not only will the SEC make a lot more money, but TV rights and the SEC's new media deal with ESPN will start to play a big role in revenue. Number two, in-state college rivalries are back. Longhorn and Sooners rivals Oklahoma State and Texas A&M left the Big 12 for the SEC in 2012 to, you know, probably escape Texas's shadow. And so I would assume that they're not too happy about this new switch. And number three. This shakeup can affect more than just the logistics of the game. Will Kane put this perfectly. We, we went a little bit deeper into this in the actual podcast. A very interesting takes from Will also. But, you know, this formality will impact the core traditions and values instilled in college football. You think about recruiting even. Different qualities might now draw in different college hopefuls. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the college football shakeup, among other side conversations that I personally loved with Will Kane. He's he's the best. And thanks again to Will Kane also for coming on this podcast. Uh, for more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.